This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, Women to Watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. And that's it. It's another supernova run to the final four for the Wildcats. 71-59. Good evening, everybody, and thank you so much for tuning into another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. And a big, big shout-out and congratulations to our Wildcats for the big win tonight. Uh, Villanova happens to be my alma mater, so I'm in very good spirits this evening uh, here in the studio. And I'm going to be joined in just a moment by Dr. Marianne Ritchie, the Associate Professor of Medicine at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital, who practices gastroenterology. Uh, before we get started, I want to give out our website. Make sure that you check out all of the things related to the show at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. And be sure to follow us on social media as well. We're on uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So I'm very, very excited to have with me uh, a really wonderful, successful local woman to the Philadelphia area with me in the studio tonight. And again, her name is Dr. Mary Ann Ritchie. She's the Associate Professor of Medicine at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital. And I welcome you to the show. Thank you, Sue. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm excited to talk about your life um, growing up as a, as a young lady and a little bit about your years at Jefferson. And um, we'll talk about uh, some other exciting things that you're involved in. You're, you're a very busy lady. Um, but I'd like to get started with the very young Marianne Ritchie and find out a little bit about who you were and what led you to take this path. Thank you. Well, I feel, Sue, as though I've led a charmed life because I had great parents from the very start. I'm the youngest of four sisters, uh, the oldest two of whom were identical twins, and that was a novelty. And um, my third sister is probably about four and a half years younger than they, and I'm, I'm the baby. And uh, my dad was a funeral director, which was an interesting childhood. None of us took over the business, much to his dismay. Um, <laughs> but as we all grew up, um, every all of the sisters went on to, after high school. To, one was a nurse, two teachers, and I went on to medical school. And each of us moved away for a few years. But then after a few years of being away, we all moved back. And it's almost like a Ritchie compound. My parents lived in the center, and the other the four of us live about 10 minutes apart. So there was a TV show when we were little called The King Family, and it was singing sisters, and they brought their children on the show. And <laughs> Anyway, it, we had this Richie compound with 16 grandchildren, Wow! first cousins, all of whom are great friends, have all grown up together. And I just left my one nephew's christening, and they were all there. 
and uh, my nephew's baby's christening, I should say. And it really, I, I wouldn't be who I am today if I didn't have the strength from my extended family. Mm. And it's a beautiful thing. Not everybody has that. Yeah. I'd love to know how you develop the confidence um, as a young girl to pursue med school. You know, that's a that's a scary endeavor. And as the youngest of four, I'll say it's it's kind of unusual for the youngest to be that ambitious if we want to talk about, you know, the placement of children. When did that confidence develop? You know, that's an interesting question, and I've never put it in that frame, but my my mother always said, good job. My mother, the slightest... Uh, progress good job you're smart you're good she told me she told all of us that and I guess everybody hears things differently but as a baby boomer I went to a grade school in Center City well not Center City but in Philadelphia with 2,500 children Catholic wow. grade school and Sister Mary Cellophane as my father would call her would click the clicker <laughs> and we obeyed and it was all about discipline and the, the continuous thread in the fabric was good girl what you know if you disobey it's a venial sin if you steal or kill somebody it's a mortal sin but there were there were levels of um sin i guess and i didn't want to go to he double hockey sticks <laughs> so so well, you were I a mean, rule follower i'll say i'm you know, a rule because, follower you know and, and i went I, to catholic school as well and, yeah. and some people it's not the a bad rules thing some didn't yeah. yeah but but i think i have a touch of ocd but if you use it to do a good job and dot your I's and cross your T's, it's a good thing. Yeah. If it keeps you from functioning, then it get ahead. It can get ahead of you. But I think too, uh, I remember my mother would polish my black and white saddle shoes every night. The white and the oh, black. The saddle shoes. Starch oh shirt. We would put our blouses on and we couldn't move the sleeves because she would dip them in <laughs> linen starch. And so when second grade, when I won the Miss Neat Award. I, I said, that's a good thing. Oh, boy. In second grade, you won the Miss Neat Award. Miss Neat. Okay, so that says something. So we lived in the city, uh, and my sisters all graduated and went to high school in the city, and then we moved to the suburbs when I was in sixth grade, and my city school had 100 children per classroom with three classes per grade, and I moved to St. Andrews and Drexel Hill, and there were only 50 children in a room. We had 150 per grade, and I... I didn't know what to do. I, I was looking for Timmy and Lassie because they're just, where are the other 150 kids in my class? But that was a big adjustment, and I had never had my hair cut. I got to seventh grade, and I was able to sit on my hair. And my sister yeah. said, you can't wear two braids in seventh grade. It's not cool. So my image <laughs> changed when they put a big— These are big problems. This, uh, these are, this was big a problems. lot to overcome. I was very self-conscious. So they put it in a ponytail and made one long braid, and I was— uncomfortable till I got to school and there was one other girl in the class that had a long braid and she smoked cigarettes so oh. I knew I was cool <laughs> so I got by with that but anyhow they're the kinds of things that you remember and you either sink or swim mm. and um so were they mostly nuns that were teaching you yes okay we still so have that's a lot of different nuns. too because you know um as the years went by uh, a lot of the catholic schools were perhaps a principal who was a nun but yes. mostly lay teachers mm -hmm. So that was a great experience. And then I went to a small girls' academy for high school, 100 per class. So again, my experience was pretty homogeneous and um, all girls. So the big step when I went to college, I went to Hawk Hill. By the way, congratulations, Villanova. I always Hi. root for Villanova as long as they're not in the Holy War against the Hawks. The Hawks. <laughs> um, but pretty cool to watch them um, skate away today. Really exciting because I'm from a family divided. Um, 
But anyway, I went to St. Joe's in the third class that took girls. So it was six boys to one girl. I was a bio major, so there were, I think, 151 bio majors. Five, six were girls. The rest were boys. Wow. And I was very comfortable with that. I I was a little distracted because there were so many cute boys. (gasps) Well, that's surprising as well because you're one of four girls. So it's not as if you had brothers at home and you just thought, you know, I'm with the boys and I'm used to that. Mm -hmm. That's surprising. And Well, and I think, um, and my poor father, we had a girl parakeet. We had a girl beagle. I mean, that poor man really was drowning in stockings hanging in the bathroom and perfume and everything all over the he house. He was way he outnumbered. Did it well. Oh, God bless him. Yeah. But um, anyway, that really readied me for GI, or maybe it's the reverse. I chose to go into gastroenterology. I was the first woman to train in New York City. But it didn't dawn on me that there were no other GI Josephines there. I, it didn't bother me. I was already... Uh, condition to just do my work, put my head down, do my work, and enjoy it. Were you acknowledged for that? Did you receive awards for being the um, first woman? No, and I don't think that in itself deserves an award. I I will say it was New York was like a different planet. I loved it. I was a little afraid of it. Mm. Um, and I will say one of the lessons I've learned, or one of the things I like about people, uh, or I I like to think I'm assertive and I'll ask questions or I'll look into things. I, I'm not drawn to overly aggressive people. Mm. And I think it takes a little bit of assertion to walk into a room of different people, be it a, a woman in a group of men or different country or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I learned that. Um, but I realized it, what I tell my own children, don't look for differences. Everybody around you is a human being. Respect other people. The golden rules. Yeah. The God first. Rules. Treat everybody else like you want them to treat you. Yeah. And um, I think that I uh, enjoyed it so much. I was really so thrilled that they accepted me in the program. And I had wonderful teachers. And as long as you work hard, that's that was rewarded. Yeah. Just like Miss Neat, if your shoes are polished and you get to school, you get Miss Neat. And it, it's all the same thing, really. Yeah, yeah. Tell me if, if, if anyone is listening. Um, by the way, if you're just tuning in, um, I am joined by Dr. Marianne Ritchie, Associate Professor of Medicine at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital here in Philadelphia. And um, if, if there's someone listening, whether it's a parent or a student, thinking about medical school, what are some of the things you would say are a sign that perhaps you will be a good doctor? Um, and, and maybe there isn't something. Maybe everybody is different. But I'm wondering if a parent has a child and they're thinking about it, is there something that points to they would they're sure. su- suited for med school? Um, medical school is an entity in itself. But just like being a bio major, when I was a biology major, we were in the lab from 1 to 5 o'clock, three days a week, when everybody else had two or three hours of class a day and they were in the cafeteria playing pinochle or off to another job or something. It's, it's very intense. Medical school, to me, was doable, but it was like memorizing phone books of information. It was a lot. The style has changed now. There's a little bit less memorization and more critical thinking. Um, all kinds of personalities, and that's good because patients come from all backgrounds and we need diverse doctors. But um, to to go through anything well in life, you have to have focus. But medical school involves focus, but also the training now involves being a polite, caring, empathetic human being. And 
there are different fields. If you do just radiology all the time, you're not really dealing with patients. I mean, sometimes you are. It's not that black and white. But if a parent wants their child or they think there's a spark there, they have to make sure their child really wants it. I would mm. say that's rule number one. It's intense enough that if you don't want it and you're doing it for somebody else, and that, again, if your mother wants you to be a singer and you really don't want to do it. It's never a good thing. Yes. Uh, but I would suggest that if a student has an inkling that they go and shadow a doctor. Can I watch you in the office? Um, can I watch an operation? And it's not, do I have the stomach to watch somebody have belly surgery or their broken bone fixed? Yep. It's a combination of all those things. A combination. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit more about that after the break. Uh, we'll be right back with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. We're working hard to get colon cancer awareness um, in the news because it is the number two cause of cancer death. Welcome back to the show, everyone. You're listening to the Sunday Night Broadcast of Women to Watch with my very special guest, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, who is the Associate Professor of Medicine at Jefferson Hospital, uh, excuse me, Jefferson University Hospital here in Philadelphia. And just before the break, we were talking about um, you know, kind of some of the ins and outs for parents who have children that might be contemplating medical school, and you had some great suggestions for things they could do to figure it out. Uh, a high school or college student who's considering medicine should walk in the shoes. Ask a local doctor, maybe their pediatrician or a doctor that their family might know, or you could even call cold call a university and say, could I spend some time watching one of the doctors or come to Grand Rounds and that sort of thing. Um, be a star at time management. Of course, that applies to anything in life, but studying. And, and one of the messages I always give my students is you have to carve out time. Learn as a college science major. And you don't have to be a science major, by the way. You just have to take certain prereqs to get into it. That's a whole different, that's a whole separate show. Okay. Um, but service. Be accustomed to doing service because a lot of medicine is, is really sacrifice. You're ready ready to close the door and go out and to get a call that one of your patients has chest pain or they have a fever and you can't leave them on a lurch. That's your, that's, it's a joy and a privilege to be a doctor. And people trust me with their medical care. I tell all my patients the same thing. I'm 49% your doctor and 51% your mother. You call me if there's a problem. <laughs> and, uh, and I mean that. And I, it really is such an honor to be a physician and that people entrust me. People tell me things they don't tell other people. I it, bet. Sometimes they're spouses. Well, it's an intimate relationship. It really is. Yeah, it yeah, is. That's the right word for it. Yeah. And um, it's really uh, um, a, a great responsibility, great in a good way, too, not just heavy. It, it's, it's awesome. So you have to have the personality that can sort of compartmentalize when you're at work. Yes, I'm worried if my child's home with a fever, but I have it plugged in that I have my mom is there or a nanny or it's covered so that I can be in the right place and, and focus on where I am at the time. Yeah, and, and you know what? That's a whole other discussion, particularly for women who are considering yes. medical school. And, you know, if they have hopes and dreams of being a mother, um, what would you say? Because it is different today than oh, it was when you were going. Some of the things are universal. Some of the things are timeless. I tell the women students, you can have it all, maybe just not all at once. So my husband and I uh, moved to New York. We, uh, my husband, my cute little husband, I'm married to a very large oak tree with size 16 feet, and his heart <laughs> is bigger than his feet. He really is 
hilarious and wonderful and generous. He's also a physician. And I met him when I was um, a freshman in medical school. I, I dated some of the guys in my class, really, really nice guys. A little awkward to be in class from 9 to 5 every day and think, oh, I went out with him on Saturday night. Ooh, you know. But, you know, it was, it was all friendly and good. And end of when the incoming freshmen were coming and I was a sophomore, they asked me to orient the incoming freshmen. So it was interesting, and the first day, they're sitting there biting their fingernails, biting their toenails, writing down everything I said. The bathrooms are here. The cafeteria is there. They were so nervous, and I looked at them, and I grew from it because I said, that's what I looked like last September, and I'm a step ahead of that. But, yeah, yeah. So I tossed away my cards with my comments on. I said, listen, you have no worries. You're here because we love you. Well, they taunted me and said, we love you, we love you. <laughs> and by the third day of me instructing and introducing speakers, I had this brainstorm. I always have a brainstorm. My husband calls me Lucy. I said, you know, anybody here who wants a big brother or big sister, you put your name on this list. And I saw this tall, dark, handsome fella, and I said, he needs my help. So I saw his name, Stu Whether Gordon. Whether he wants it or not. And I assigned him to me. What a good big sister. Of course, the rest is so history. we were friends through that year. He had no idea that my heart was Aww. fluttering. Uh, my heart be still. <laughs> and um, so eventually he asked me to uh, uh, get together at his fraternity. And um, we dated. And we dated for a while. And I had no idea... As I say, my whole background is Catholic. I dated and married Hanukkah Harry. And <laughs> he has the, had the most wonderful parents. But anyway, so we are bonded by we both love God. God comes first. And we're both big family people. And his parents were almost identical to mine. Everything was about family and support and love and family first. And um, there's there's no difference there. Yeah. So I guess, you know, when thinking about young women who want to study medicine but also have families, it's absolutely doable. If if two people come together and have share the same values, it's yes. probably easier. Yes. There you go. And yeah. um, so we moved to New York for Stu. That's my big daddy. Big daddy's uh, training in orthopedics. And that's when I went to Sloan Kettering, the cancer center, humbling 20 floors of cancer patients. Everybody in that hospital has some form of cancer, but we might see them as GI docs because they have an ulcer or they have bowel issues or whatever. Yeah. And um, and so I, I, I will tell you every day I walked out of there that I could walk without assistance, feed myself, and I didn't have a fever like everybody else I was seeing. I knew I was a lucky girl. Mm. I learned so much. I was humbled by it. And I, and I say to my students and my own children, stay humble. I'll tell you about the Women's Forum in a second where we um, talk to women students about what they're going to be facing when they come out of training. But you can give 100 people an aspirin tablet. One of them could die, and you don't know in advance who that person is going to be. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I have over 30 years of experience, and I still have surprises. I still have people that come, and I think, gosh, I'm going to have to work through this and see why this person has pain or this person's losing weight. Yeah. And uh, it's fascinating, but... Um, Anyway, you have to be patient and and humble. Yeah. Well, that's great advice for any industry, right? Yes. Any field, yes. anything you pursue. I want to mention to our audience that we're going to be, you're going to be joining us weekly um, as one of our ongoing contributors for our Health Watch. So we're going to be hearing a lot more from uh, Dr. Ritchie and, and really receiving lots of great information on 
um, kind of dispelling the myths that are out there in the news for us lay people that are thoroughly confused day to day with what we should and shouldn't be doing. Um, so stay tuned for that, uh, for our watch team and our contributors ongoing. Um, let's talk about this very, very exciting campaign, the Blue Lights, Yes, that you have started. And we want everyone to know, particularly in Philadelphia where it started, what all these Blue Lights are about. Yes, well, I was very fortunate to train at Sloan Kettering. And while there, a study was being conducted called the National Polyp Study. And my teacher, Dr. Sid Winner, brilliant man, uh, did a project that led to the national guidelines. At what age do we start being screened? How often? If you have polyps, do you come back in five years or ten, whatever? And all that came from his work over uh, two, three decades. So I was part of that, and that's where I got my passion for colon cancer screening. Screening is a word that describes a test that is done in people who feel fine. If you have symptoms, then a test is being done to make a diagnosis. Mm. Colon cancer is the number two cause of cancer death. And when I, when I do a lecture, I say to people, it means nothing when I say there will be, I don't know, 130,000 new cases of colon cancer this year or whatever the number is for this year. Because you say, well, there are 323 million people in America. I'm not going to be one of the 100,000 or whatever it is. But if you say one in three people over 50 will get a colon polyp, one in two people over 60 will get a colon polyp, the whole mission of GI doctors and endoscopists is to go in, take out polyps, Polyps are a word that means a little growth that shouldn't be there. It's a bump. So is, is, can I can I equate that to a basal cell when when you talk about skin cancer? Well, that's cancer. That's or cancer. What is the um, a polyp the, is precancer most right. of the time. Okay. What is the name for the to the skin that is not cancerous? It's pre, but they might remove oh, it. Oh, actinic keratosis. Oh, it's that's what I was thinking. Yes. <laughs> yeah, kind of, sorta, but. But they don't all go to cancer. Well, yes, I guess that's good parallel. Okay, yes. okay. So we go in and remove polyps. So the goal of screening means doing tests in a target group. In America, big jump in colon cancer in our 50s. So if we start at age 50, we're trying to stay ahead of that timeline. We go in and take polyps before they turn to cancer, or we hope to find cancer at an early stage when it's more curable. That's the whole, in a nutshell. Yeah. And men... Uh, and women are not equal in their screening rates. Maybe 65% of Americans have some form of screening. Colonoscopy is the best because if we find something, we take it out, mm -hmm. done. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Uh, but some people are afraid of it. We'll talk about that in a second. But there is a way, other ways to screen, uh, to look for stool, take a stool sample, look for hidden blood or DNA abnormalities that say, oh, there's a cancer in there. Do we want to wait till it's cancer? No. Mm -hmm. A stool test can be falsely... Uh, negative, it can look fine, and there could be something sitting inside. So men are pretty good about colonoscopy, but women have lagged historically. A, longer to-do list. I already took time off from work to get the mammogram. Right. Um, they're already plugged into GYN for, you know, having children and medications and all the things that we follow for. So historically, women have lagged. So I said, I have to get out there. I'm the most senior woman in GI in Philadelphia. And I feel, honestly, it's my role to get out there and shake people and say, we can get you through this comfortably and safely, and it can save your life. Because other screening tests, like a mammogram, that finds early cancer. Colonoscopy finds and removes precancer. Mm. Booyah. Prevention. That is the name of the game. And people that say, ooh, the prep, or uh, I'll say, it's better than chemo and radiation. There you go. Well, and I don't think that people understand they it's don't. the number two, but it's the number two 
uh, cancer. In fact, more people die, excuse me, but more people die of colon cancer combining men and women than die of breast cancer. Who would know that? People don't know that. People don't know that. Mm -mm. So do you know the percentage of people who get screened in the in the U.S.? Yes, about 65 percent. It probably about the 59. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. 9.9% of women have either colonoscopy or a short scope test called the sigmoidoscope. Some people are afraid of sedation, so they'll say, well, I'll let you do a little office scope. But really, if, if you have a sigmoidoscope, means the lowest part of the colon. We check that. Um, I, I don't do that as a screening test. I really try to encourage people to get the, the full exam because there's no point in looking at the, the last three exits of I-95. I want to look at all of I-95. You still have to do a bowel prep. It's time off from work. Let us make you sleepy and have you walk away saying 100% of my colon was checked. Now, is there any good news on the prep? <laughs> is it still yeah, the same? Yeah, actually there is. Okay, it tell used us. to be, when I started this in the 80s, it was two and a half days of laxatives and enemas, brutal liquids, you know, uh, clear liquids, no solids for two and a half days. Then we got very Star Wars in the 90s with the four liter jug, which is brutal. Yes. I have done it. Yes. Um, now it's only two liters. And the reason we can get by with less fluid is because it's called a split prep. You drink one liter now, and it starts the motor running, mm-hmm. and you start to go. And then you follow it with a liter of something you like, Gatorade, lemonade, oh, something clear. Good. I yeah. didn't know that. So okay. it's still fluid, but it's it's pleasant. Yes. And then you wait about six hours, Oh. and you drink bottle number two of the salty solution. And it's kind of a tsunami. Tsunami. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but it's doable. That's it's doable. not fun. Right. But the medication is fantastic. Again, that's had an evolution. In the 80s, we used IV Demerol, very heavy meds. We got a little better in the 90s. Now we use propofol, made famous by Michael Jackson. But that was given in his home. He wasn't monitored properly. Somebody gave it to him, said, good night, Michael, shut the door. It can slow your breathing and such. You have an anesthesia person. That's all they do. They it's watch a your... beautiful nap. It is an awesome nap. <laughs> it is a beautiful nap, I'm going to say. Um, so, so anyhow. It... Well, so getting back to the so the blue lights is to bring awareness because people yes. just don't know about so it. So the women, women lag, and it's not about women, it's about all people, but women lag because they have more screenings on their list. They think it's a man's disease. And because of the pink campaigns, and the pink campaigns have done wonderful things. I am totally invested in breast cancer. My mother died of breast cancer. My mother-in-law had breast cancer. Um, my... It's a tough one. My twin sisters were diagnosed within days of each other. Oh. One is here, one is in heaven. But she's watching out for us. Oh. We call her St. Judy. Um, oh. But anyway, so that's really important. Yeah. But indirectly, it's making women think mammogram and done. Mm. No. Yeah. you got to get your colon checked, girlfriends. Yeah. yeah. And we could do it at Jefferson. So <laughs> the blue lights started with, I noticed, you know, Pico has the messaging. And I called them a uh, cold call several years ago. So this was like the sixth year, fifth year. 
and they put up their colonoscopy saves lives. I said, that was easy. So then I started calling Sierra, and it's worked up to 27 buildings. I have the state capital in blue every year now. Yeah, ben I Franklin want you to Bridge. brag a little bit, and it, it's going to expand across the country where the Hopefully, are going to be in New York. And got some other DC. state capitals going. Yeah. Um, thank you, Villanova grad, uh, Lieutenant Governor Stack. I called him, cold call. He said, yeah, I'll write the capital for you. And I said, if I write a letter, would you send it to your buddies, the other lieutenant governors across the uh, country? So he did. Yeah, that's and awesome. then we got uh, Maria Donatucci. Thank you, Maria. She's a <laughs> state rep in Philadelphia County. And I thought, I saw her on the website as health committee. She said, I lost my dad and my Aunt Marianne to colon cancer. I'm with you. So she let me come to Harrisburg. We spoke on the floor. So every county, my goal this year is I could get a blue light in every of the 67 counties, Philadelphia, or Pennsylvania, blank and a blue, and other states will follow. Okay. I got a call from the White House. I said, is this candid camera? Is this real? <laughs> is someone punking me? So somebody <laughs> called me and said, this is the White House. I said, ooh. And I had sent a letter to the Donald, and I didn't get a response. So I sent an email to, and they said, yes, in response to your letter and email, the president and the first lady, both of them uh, dis- have declared, and it's not the first time it's ever happened, but it was nice of them to call me and make me feel like yes. a big girl. Yes. Uh, that March is colon cancer awareness month. So yeah. I really wanted them to turn some blue lights on the White House, but that's next year. Oh, well, but get, anyway. listen, if anybody can get it done, you can. You know it. And we're going to help you. Yes, we're you are. We're definitely going to spread the word here. So, ladies, remember colon cancer is preventable. It's really stupid to get it, don't get it. And, um, it yeah, led me I, well, to, yeah. Yeah, the Pink Plus, too. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the Pink Plus. Because knowing I'm a consumer as well as a provider, and I know how hard it is for me to get off the merry-go-round to get my exams. And now with my sister's history and my mom and cousins on both sides, if I have to get an MRI, if I do it at 6 in the morning, I don't care. If I lose an hour of sleep, I sleep inside the MRI. Get her done. Yeah. Um, and so Pink Plus is a program I started several years ago that – five to seven on Thursday nights. So after work, no, no excuses, girlfriends, come after five, get your mammogram and meet a GI doc and learn about colonoscopy and sign up for it. One night a month, you can have mammogram, your routine GYN exam, and the GI visit, no excuses. That's right. And there are other options. In the mornings at Methodist, I do mammogram with GI, and then one day a month we're doing, while you're there for GYN visit, you can mix it with GI. So question do you have to be affiliated with jefferson hospital to go and have that okay perfect no. so anyone can yes anyone can mm-hmm. 1-800-JEFF-NOW okay it's been on hold for a little bit because we have a new electronic system and we had to set up the template for scheduling but we're about to go live with that so we'll okay. talk about that on another show okay listen um you're listening to the sunday night broadcast of women to watch with my special guest dr marianne ritchie and when we come back She's going to share with us a little bit about the 31st Women's Forum at Jefferson. We'll be right back. Pink is great because, uh, you know, so many women are affected by breast cancer. One in eight. But what people need to learn is one in three people over age 50, one in two people over age 60 get colon polyps. Not all polyps go to cancer, but cancer always starts as a polyp. Right. And so the blue light campaign is to bring that um, message out to people. Back, everybody, and thanks so much for tuning in to another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm joined this Sunday evening by Dr. Marianne Ritchie, Associate Professor of Medicine at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of things we can talk about when it comes to women 
in uh, in medicine and and being mothers as well. You wanted to talk a little bit about you know when you had your first child and yes. how you were able to manage all of that. This is so so much fun. So you're you're so great at an interviewing because you're making me very comfortable. There's oh. so many things to talk about. So much chatter, so little time. But um, <laughs> I, I just felt so blessed to go to Sloan Kettering and train and, and learn so much. And then I came back to Philadelphia, lucky me, to be near my family. And my dear husband was willing to move to Philly. Um, but I was the only woman for about 80 miles. I came back to Lankanal Hospital, back to my teachers. That's where I had been a resident. And when people would send me patients, I was so flattered. I was like, wow, you trust me? And um, <laughs> I came home in 1986 with a three-week-old baby. I stayed home for a few months, uh, who's now, he's 32. But um, it was one year after President Reagan was diagnosed. So that, that awareness, everybody saw this 74-year-old president waving out the window one day post-op, and they said, if he can do it, I can do it. Just like- People remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and he was so loved. Um, but anyway, then people no longer wanted the old-fashioned x-ray called a barium They wanted colonoscopy. And there was one woman at Jefferson who was mostly researched, but she saw patients like a day a month. And there was one woman, another author, both brilliant women, one at Hahnemann. So out here, out in the suburbs, I was the only G.I. Josephine with this little three-and-a-half-month-old baby at home. And some people say, oh, you feel guilty when you go to work. I wouldn't call mine guilt. I would call mine a longing. I wanted so much to be with him. And I think... You have to be a certain level of type A to get through medical school. And as we said, it applies to everything, not just med school. But I am definitely it's a type grueling. A. It's grueling. Yeah. And stressful. Yes. Yeah. But cool stress. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then as soon as they put that little baby in my hands on May 9th, 1986, and I looked at those little baby eyes, I, I said, I will worry if he has food in his stomach and a, and a roof over his head for the rest of my life. Mm. doesn't matter if I'm 50 and he – no, he's 50 and I'm 80 or whatever it was. So I – so I'm home with him, and I'm like, man, do I really have to go back to work? I love work, but I love my baby. And every mother must feel that pull at some point. Um, and so I worked around the clock, and my mother, who never, who stayed, was a stay-at-home mom, and all of my sisters had careers, but once they had children, stayed home. That was my template. And I wanted to, I was going to mother my children the way my mother did. I mean, that's, that happens not with everybody, but it certainly did. And my parents would have eaten for me. They were so precious. Mm. And I will say again, my mother and father-in-law were awesome as well. How many people like their in-laws? But my mother-in-law was bigger than life, hilarious, awesome, warm, everything, the bubster. So um, <laughs> anywho, so I'm home, Philadelphia, working like a crazy girl. And then we were fortunate enough to be expecting a second baby. And that's when I said to my partners, I can make you so rich. I can work part time, and you don't have to pay me as much. So, so <laughs> there's a always a silver lining, it, my right? friends. That's right. So I said I'll take half my salary. I'll work weekends for free. What? <laughs> um, silly girl. But the time was more important to me. Just like the screenings, time is the most precious precious commodity. Um, well, you were. Would you say you were able to see that this is a phase in my life now that I will do? I will make this decision and, and be home with the children, and. In oh, I didn't future? even look to the. I or didn't even did? look to the future. I just said, oh. I I have to be here. I want to see him, you know, take his first step. I want to, and maybe I'll see his second step. But I'll just pretend. But it's still. Uh, so I worked Monday, Tuesday, Thursday for many years. But I still worked every third weekend. But I did it for you, free because I said it'll get me credit out of purgatory. Remember, we're we're Catholic girls, oh, and gosh. um. But I was still loved it, and fortunately, my husband was working. So if I took a salary cut, some people can't do that. 
That's lucky right. me that I was able to do it. That's right. So, um, anywho, I continued to work part time. My mother died suddenly when I was 39. Uh, breast cancer died within a few weeks, and um, my father had gone through bypass surgery and was doing well, but started to uh, decline in terms of his mentation. And when we saw that, we didn't want to put our, our pact was would never put mommy or daddy into a nursing home. But as my father got worse, my dear sister had him move in with her and he really he would go AWOL a lot is it he wouldn't tell anybody he'd just go out to buy a kite he loved kites where's Frankie <laughs> I don't know <laughs> so she really couldn't really do anything she couldn't go to the supermarket without my dad so I would pick him up Tuesday after work I'd have off Wednesday I had a nanny who would be at the house so he would stay with me Wednesday Thursday into Friday or some combination each week that I'd have my dad for a few days um I wanted my children to see that too. I wanted my children to see that you take care of your your grandparents, yeah. your, your parents. Oh, that's and, a great example. Yeah. Yep. Um, so anyhow, during that time, I I stayed home, and I loved it. I I kind of missed work, but I was relieved that I could focus on my father, and the kids. Mm -hmm. And um, I was at a field hockey game, and a friend of mine, another parent. As a lawyer said, would you review a case, a GI case for me? I said, sure. I said, I don't want to do it officially because I'm always afraid if I say, yes, you can play the piano, the person's going to come and you know be mad at me. So so I, I said, yeah, I'll look, I'll, I'll tell you what questions or how to, to research it. And he said, you know, if you ever want to do this officially, you can't have been at, you cannot have been out of work for five years. And that lit a spark. And shortly thereafter, I was offered a position at Temple. Okay. And by that point, my dad had passed away. I went back to work. And it was awesome. I loved it. I had so much fun at Temple. I was greeted with open arms. I got back in the saddle, and I kept up with my reading with meds. But in terms of doing procedures, it was like driving a car. I never forgot. It was awesome. And then I kept bumping into my Jefferson friends. And after five years at Temple, I've been back at Jeff for 10 years, and it is magnificent. So all those lessons I learned that I try to teach children and students is sometimes you just have to go with the flow. Uh, my middle name is Teresa. St. Teresa says you are where you're supposed to be. I'm a firm believer that you my are. My middle name is Teresa. I knew it. How about that? I didn't. So I my didn't dogs. I didn't know that's what that meant. I have three kids. We have three kids, and we have three dogs. Margaret Mary Teresa, Liberty Teresa Valentine, and Zeus Motorcycle Francis. They're all family <laughs> names. But even the girl dogs are Teresa. So, you know, I went back to work, and as my children then finished college and moved on, and they're in their job worlds or grad school, then it kind of unleashed me, and that it enabled me to have the time to do the blue light campaign or mm. really focus on, I do a lot of speaking in um, corporate settings and communities and churches and say, get the colon screening or pink plus, let us make it easier for you. I have a friend that went to high school and college, uh, Anne Ayala, beautiful girl who worked for the archdiocese, fed the homeless for years. And people would say, let's give food stamps or let's bring them and talk about jobs. She'd say, no, give them food, bring them in, give them a meal. And I feel like Pink Plus is come in, we'll do it all at once. It's putting the food in front of the person yeah. and making it easier. Oh, you, ha you can't just text people and have blue T-shirts and runs and walks. you got to put the food in front of the hungry people. Mm. Come, to, come to this program. We'll, we'll do everything for you. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I, I will say thank you to you for all the women, you know, locally who are, you know, that you created that because we're multitasking every day on a regular basis and women are just jam-packed. So if something's not easy, they're not gonna, especially if it's for them, they're the not gonna do it. The first woman president of Cornell died 
Spring of 2016, age 52, colon cancer. So we worry about the underserved, of course, but every, every socioeconomic stratus of women um, is affected by the, the difficulty of fitting it all in. So 31 years ago, uh, I was in practice for a year, expecting our second baby, and a classmate of mine who was the first woman to train in orthopedics at Jeff. So we were both in male-dominated fields and really didn't know it. We sort of knew it, but we finished our training, come back, and we're at work, and we called each other and we said, we should really go back and talk to the women's students about what they'll be facing. And that led to this women's forum. Okay. And we started- the 30, You just celebrated 31 years. So Barb Freeman and I, uh, bought some Danish and coffee and any young women that wanted to come, boys are always invited too, but to say, here's what you have to juggle. And it grew into this annual dinner and forum, just a buffet dinner. And then I bring eight to 10 women docs on a p panel on stage in the auditorium. And the students say, how did you pick surgery? Or how did you end up in Durham or gee? And so in general, uh, they get to hear women who are single, women with and without children, full-time, every combination and um and how they juggle it and what they consider and there is no right formula my big message to these women students is there is no exact formula because in a sense women can never win if you're single people say oh couldn't you find a husband well maybe people some people choose the uh a single life or they mm -hmm. might want a lifetime partner whether it's a man or a woman and they're happy yeah if you're not happy with your private life you're not going to be an effective clinician or an effective dog catcher or an effective anything yeah now that's such a good point there's yes. no there's no formula there's you no can't formula. tell people how to live their lives and you know it's married a, women that don't have children you know sometimes well oh, they're selfish maybe she's praying every minute of the day to have a baby you don't know oh, yeah. women who work full-time and they have children are bad mothers and women who work part-time aren't dedicated doctors so you have to live with the label and shine your light that's why i tell my kids shine your light let your work speak for you if i see 30 people a week and take really good care of them in my mind i'm doing just a good as good a job if i were taking care of 60 people a week right because i have to have functioning functioning children right right um you're listening to uh, another week of women to watch here on talk radio 1210 wpht and we're going to take a quick break and be back with dr marianne ritchie Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. My name is Sue Rocco, by the way. I'm not sure I introduced myself. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to be with you every Sunday night from 7 to 8. And this evening, I am with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, Associate Professor of Medicine at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital. And I should mention, you're, you are a doctor, but you are a professor, and you teach students. How Associate. I don't yeah. want to elevate myself well, too much. I'll get it tired. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter. But, um, and, and you practice gastroenterology. Um, and, you know, d during the break, we were just chatting a little bit about um, really what it takes to kind of stay on an even keel, um, no matter our industry. You know, certainly doctors, uh, men and women, have a little bit of an added stress, I would say, because they're, they're thinking about uh, my responsibility to my patient. And in your situation, it can be life or death. I would love to hear from you what your mantra is in life daily. What kind of keeps you grounded and on track when things go a little haywire? Um. What keeps me really grounded is to start every day with a prayer, even if it's, Lord, help me. When I'm doing a colonoscopy a and I'm one. looking for a polyp, St. Anthony's going to hear from me. I need your help to find that polyp. And I'm not kidding. I'm, I really, 
Um, I think my parents are watching over me. And I really try to teach my children that you need God in your life. They, they understand that and they feel that. And my husband is a very devoted, uh, faithful man as well. Mm-hmm. And um, that has really strengthened our unit as a family and my extended family. And um, I think that um, one of the things I appreciate about St. Joe's now having graduated from there, I was a boss DJ, by the way. That's where I learned how to talk fast and nonstop because every second is money on the radio uh that um i want to remind our listeners that you're going to be with me every week for the health watch we're going to have fun i learned from uh, emmanuel kant uh that you should know thyself and nothing to excess life is a balance and we talked about before trying to make sure that you carve out time for your family yourself and that's not selfish time like oh let me go play tennis i don't know how to play tennis but just time to reflect i think people are unsettled i think that's how we would describe today's culture people are impatient because they're bombarded with text messages and cell phone everybody wants everything now because they can i don't know that answer they google it oh that was the star of that tv show in 1960 Everybody can have everything instantly. And so when they're stuck in traffic, they start blowing the horn because they can't move instantly. Mm. Well, that's the detriment of, you know, technology has allowed us to have information at our fingertips, which is awesome. I love it. Um, but then we become impatient. Yeah, it, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and so I think you need to be able to calm down and, and, and try. One of the things that my parents really taught me, especially my dad, Um, who worked around the clock, he worked so hard, was to try not, he was always happy. He was always happy. And would, what I gleaned from him was that he did not let negative people make him unhappy. You know that old expression, don't fly with the turkeys when you can soar with the eagles. Mm. Just, Just be happy, just say, okay. And if you're having a bad day or you had a worry, he'd say, just go to bed. And when you wake up tomorrow, the sun will be shining. It'll be a new day and a new start. Well, so here's my question around that. Some people are innately optimists. Mm -hmm. They just are. Um, It's harder for other people. Oh, it is. Right? So for us to say, you know, just do it. Just be happy. Just do it. It's um, annoying. It's it's difficult. (laughs) I think it's easier for some people. But I wonder what, so when you think about your dad, he had that outlook. He was able to do that. Was that because he was a faithful person that he just always believed everything would be okay or do you think he was proactive in maybe his... it's because he was also the baby in his family and babies we think everybody takes care of us i don't know <laughs> although as a woman doctor we are considered the nurturers oftentimes people say hey Miriam, would you see my patient she or you know he or she was seeing dr x but you're going to give them the tlc Mm, so that's one of the things I tell the, the women's students. And by the way, this women's forum, I invite the men too because I say you're going to be working with women docs and you're going to be marrying women docs. So you need to understand our juggle is different from yours. It's not better or worse. It's different. And so even though over 50% of the medical students now, we had a big alumni meeting and somebody said, Marianne, a, an older man doctor, why do you still put any resources into it? I said, well, first of all, I do it all by myself, so it keeps me skinny. Um but why do I do it? Because I realize every year I learn something new from the women docs or the students' questions. It's different, and these women need to know just because they're as smart on paper. If they plan to become a CEO and run a whole hospital or be a neurosurgeon, they're going to sacrifice something else because mm. it takes more time. It's more intensity, and that's what I mean by nothing to excess. Don't think you can do that to the max and that because you're going to miss the field hockey games. You're going to miss something, and that's not bad or 
good. It's a choice, but realize it before you sign a dotted line and you can't go backwards. Let me ask you this. When, when you think about the men doctors, uh, your colleagues, do you think there's more of an understanding today than there was years ago? Yes. about Because we're, we have shows like this and we have you know, magazines and, and workshops and resources, right? So are you seeing that? Um, yes, I see an improvement. It's not 100 percent yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've been at this for finished med school in 1980, so I've been in training or in practice in the hospital for what's that, <laughs> 38 years. Has anybody ever called? You know, have I ever been at a table where they say, "Doctor, what do you think?" Doctor, 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 Marianne. Or I've had administrators call me Marianne, but the men, Doctor Smith or Jones. Mm. And I think another lesson I've learned is you never let them see a sweat. I didn't coin that term, but you know what? It, some people do it unintentionally, and you can't get angry. If somebody's doing it intentionally just to get a, a, a chuckle, yeah, I'm not going to waste cares? my time. That's yeah. right. Some Twinkies. They have their You're own a baby. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. But Listen. anyhow, the other quick thing is I tell the women students, don't try to be a man. Be yourself. Don't curse at work to be cool or to have people think you're a guy. Yeah. You don't have to. Great Shine advice. your light. Shine your light. Thank you so much, Dr. Marianne so. Ritchie. And thanks for tuning in to another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'll be back with you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.